Hi, everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are back after an off week and so excited to be heading to the beautiful south of France. Organized motor racing actually originated in France in the 1800s, so we are excited to pay some tribute to that with this preview. We are officially in the back half of the season and coming up on the August break, or silly season as it's well known in the F1 world because of all the shakeups that happen with contracts and driver lineup for the next season. So after the preview, we are also doing a segment in case you are wondering what on earth a power unit is. The term gets thrown around all the time. They explode. They cause grid penalties. They're unreliable. And especially if you are a Ferrari or a Red Bull powertrain, they are fast. So stick around for that. And with that, I'm Tiggy. I'm Sarah. And I'm Chessa. So this race, the French Grand Prix, is held at the Paul Ricard Circuit in Le Castellet, France, in the beautiful Côte d'Azur region, which is in the southeastern part of the country. We will be there in like a month and a half for a vacation. Sadly, we were not going to be coinciding with the French Grand Prix, but we are very excited. So the circuit was created by Paul Ricard and opened in 1970, and it didn't actually host its first F1 GP until the year after in 1971. Overall, there's been 14 races there between that year, 1971 and 1990. And quick fun fact here, Paul Ricard was a drinks magnate. He made it pastis, like fruity anise liqueur. He was actually one of the earliest adopters of sports sponsorship as a means of promoting his product. His alcohol, his alcohol company was the first commercial sponsor of the Tour de France, but then there was a ban on alcohol advertising. So some say he built his track as a means of circumventing that. Others say he just wanted to prove to the state that private companies could successfully build road networks. So... Very interesting fun fact there. Ooh, that is fun. So in the late 90s, the track changed ownership. It became, it was bought by a company owned by then F1 boss Bernie Ecclestone, and it became the first high-speed track in the world dedicated exclusively to a bunch of testing, and it was renamed the Paul Ricard High Tech Test Track. And then over the years, starting in the early 2000s, the track has undergone many renovations with additions of more technical turns and modernization of the pit lane. And the track is really regarded as an innovative track due to its emphasis on both design and safety. And it really pioneered the blue line concept. So instead of the old gravel traps that we see on a lot of circuits, there's a bright blue and red high grip asphalt that you see on this track, which is designed to slow cars that are running off track to avoid impact with the barriers. And it was also one of the first adopters of the Tech Pro safety barriers that we see um, all the time now. Yeah, and then the track was reopened to the public in 2009, but it didn't host an F1 race until 2018, so 28 years after the last French Grand Prix. And Lewis Hamilton took victory that year. And fun fact, this is Esteban and Pierre Gasly's home races, so we have a little dual action going on there. Ocon's designated grandstand sold out in 15 seconds and Will Buxton told him this uh, during a live interview and he was just so excited. It was very sweet to see. 
This actually is one of the races that is potentially on the chopping block, and there is currently no deal for 2023 for this track. So with all the news about South Africa and other races potentially coming down the pike, we could see this one go. But Esteban said he would do everything he could to keep it on the calendar. And according to reports, though, the odds are not looking good. The circuit sort of lacks a lot of the modern facilities and the pizzazz that other tracks have. So the circuit itself, it's 5.8 kilometers, 53 laps. It only has two DRS zones and 15 turns. We think the shape of the circuit sort of looks like a safety pin, which is funny. It's actually, like we mentioned, one of the most used test circuits in the world because it also has a really nice even distribution of high, medium, and low speed corners. The lap record here is held by Sebastian Vettel, and he said that in 2019. So in terms of the last race last year, we had Max on pole and then Lewis and Botas right behind, and the top six results ended up being Max, Lewis, and Checo on podium, then Botas, Lando, and Danny, so the McLarens right up there. But it was a pretty spread out field at the front with over a minute between P1 and P5, and it was a pretty solid Mercedes versus Red Bull race. Lewis was in the lead for most of the race after having a great start and passing Max at turn one, but super exciting because they were running really close. And then Max pulled back into the front with only two laps to go. And then also Checo overtook Botas late in the race to get P3. And this was a funny angry Botas moment where he was yelling at Mercedes on the radio for not listening to him about doing a two-stop instead of a one-stop. And he yelled, why the beep did no one listen to me when I said it would be a two-stop? And as I said, McLaren right up there in the top six. There wasn't a race in 2020 due to covid But strong Mercedes track here because in 2019, Merck got a 1-2. And then, as we said, Hamilton also won in 2018. Yeah, fun fact, though. It's funny, as you'll see on our Track Tuesday post, that McLaren and Williams hold the record for the most number of wins at this track, which is kind of funny. That's lovely. If Mercedes Mercedes wins this year, they will tie that. Um, But we like to see those teams up there. So what kind of racing can we expect? Course, drumroll, please. More track limit issues. (laughs) Christian Horner said (laughs) that the nature of the track would invite drivers to run wide and gain time on each other. And this is hot off strong complaints from the drivers to the FIA, especially Lewis and Max coming out of Austria. Max essentially said that the track limit problems in Austria were a bad look for the sport. There were over 40 warnings and multiple five-second penalties. And Max also pointed out that it's super easy to make small mistakes that cause you to run a bit wide on corner exits. So this year, track limits are being enforced universally at the white lines instead of the more corner-to-corner guidance from previous years. And during the race, drivers get two warnings. Then they get a black and white flag and then a five-second penalty. And during quality, the lap just gets deleted. Track limits are sort of wild. It is true they get a bunch of warnings. And so by the time they get to a five-second penalty, they've gotten so many warnings that I guess they can't complain that much. But for corners where this is just a consistent problem, they could just put gravel there and then it's a self imposed track limit because you would run into the gravel. I feel like that would kind of be better than just having over 40 warnings in one race. Yeah, I agree. At some point it's the track, like not the drivers, if you're having so many warnings. Exactly. Um, 
just a couple more things about this track. There's an 180 mile per hour or 290 kilometer per hour right-hand turn that drivers really like, and it is known for its typically good weather. So we'll see how that holds, although we saw what happened in Monaco this year. So I guess we'll see what happens. For sure. Let's definitely hope for good weather for this weekend. And then also when we go visit, definitely want it to be nice. (laughs) So... The teams, Ferrari, after Carlos signs his fiery DNF at the Austrian Grand Prix, he's expected to get his fourth power unit of the season and thus take a penalty and start at the back of the grid. It's kind of unfortunate for them. The team was really hoping to wait for that fourth power unit until after the break when they could also bring some of the new upgrades to the engine between Spa and Monza in September, trying to fix a little bit of the ongoing reliability issues, but they're going to do that then as well, so he'll have to take another grid penalty then too, which is a bummer. It seems like what happened with the science power unit was similar to what happened to Leclerc and Baku. They're probably both related to internal combustion issues. So let's definitely pray to the reliability gods for him. He said he'd rather have a fast and unreliable engine though. So that's good at least for science. (laughs) How about fast and reliable? (laughs) So also definitely watch out for a team order scenario here. Science pointed out that he puts the team first and did comply with the order to let Charles pass at Silverstone. But now that Leclerc is almost 40 points ahead of him, Ferrari may start pulling the trigger more and favoring one driver over the other. Red Bull, the high-speed sections will definitely help them out here. And Max won last year, so a strong track for them generally. But they have those super weird tire deg problems in Austria during the race. So not really sure what's up with that. Christian said it was strange and that these tires are a bit sensitive. They really need to be in a particular window to operate probably properly. So maybe it was some type of car setup issue on Sunday in Austria, but it's unclear what was going on with that. So definitely watch out for that. Yeah. And Mercedes, the drivers here definitely have some good momentum. Lewis got his third consecutive podium at Austria and Russell has snagged fourth for the second time in three races. Their Austria performance looked even better in hindsight, considering more details that have come out about their lack of spare parts and other challenges like the cost cap when they had to remake both cars overnight after a double Q3 wreck in Quali. They fixed Lewis's car essentially from scratch in three and a half hours, which how is that even possible? I do not know. I don't understand how they did this. It's insane. They also essentially had to build one floor out of two because they only brought one spare floor and both cars had bad floor damage. So two broken floors were somehow finagled into one. So given all that, P3 and P4 is pretty incredible. And Toto says they are only missing two or three tenths of a second on pure pace. And Christian acknowledged that they are going to be strong contenders at the French Grand Prix. Sort of feels like Christian always says that he thinks Mercedes is going to be quick for the next race, though. So I don't know if it's just posturing or what, but Toto thinks Mercedes would have been on pace with Max in Austria without the car repair jobs they had. And since this is one of the smoothest circuits, we will definitely be expecting good things from Mercedes at Paul Ricard this weekend. Yeah, maybe Toto is finally going to get that marble glass surface. (laughs) (laughs) So Alpha Tauri, they are bringing some major upgrades this weekend, actually. And I think it's funny. It's coming off of Gasly at Austria saying that the team was a disaster. It's probably the slowest car on the track at the moment. They haven't scored a point since Azerbaijan. So hopefully these upgrades will really help. They said that they've pinpointed their issue. They'll be bringing a substantial aerodynamic upgrade to both the body and the floor. And Principal Toss said that, Principal Toss, I think it's funny when we say it like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Sounds like we're school. in school. <laughs> yeah. He said that he likes problem children. And after Helmet Marco called Yuki a problem child. So maybe Yuki can stay on the team and they can hang out together, <laughs> Yuki and his principal. <laughs> He's doing damage control after that comment. <laughs> So Alpine, we are super excited for them. It's the home race for their team, their Renault power unit. This is a bit of a trend. They are also based in the UK, but consider themselves a French brand. So they think of this as their home race, plus it's Esteban's home race. So very exciting. They are continuing with their upgrades, bringing a small upgrade to the floor of their car. Alonso really feels like he's in peak form. He made some comments about how he felt like Austria was one of his best races this year, but car problems and bad luck have really just prevented him from getting the points reflecting how well he feels like he's driving. But generally, all of their upgrades have been working, so we are expecting big things. They're also adding some staff to try to expand more to the size of the top team. So Alpine's hustling right now. Okay, Alpine. So Haas, still no upgrades for them. The team is happy with performance so far and wants to ride that wave. Smooth seas, it seems, for the Steiner ship. And they are waiting until the Hungarian Grand Prix next weekend to bring their long-awaited upgrades. So hopefully they can continue to perform as they have been doing. And McLaren, so the rival of Alpine currently, as we mentioned, they're neck and neck in the constructors. Norris said that he understands some of Danny's struggles, but also made it a bit of a dig at the same time. He said that it's true that the McLaren car can be difficult to drive, and Carlos had also thought that too. So Lando pointed out that all McLaren drivers have to adapt to the car and that Lando has had to change his driving style. He said, quote, I struggled at the beginning of the season, probably with my driving style a bit more than what Daniel struggled with initially in the first few tests. And I feel like I had to adapt quite a bit. So the subcontext there is Daniel should adapt to the car instead of complaining all the time about how the car isn't performing. Well, while we're talking about McLaren, I feel like we have to talk a little bit about the contract drama and all the absolutely wild stuff that has been happening this week. So... As we've discussed, McLaren is becoming infamous for sort of collecting drivers and having a stacked lineup across its various racing series. Reminder, they have teams in IndyCar, Extreme E, they're entering Formula E, and more. So they have Pedro Award and Alexander Rossi racing in on the IndyCar team next year. Then Felix Rosenvist will also be driving for either IndyCar or Formula E. McLaren has three IndyCar seats next year. Then Colton Herta, he's on a different IndyCar team, but has just had a successful F1 test for McLaren in Portugal. So he's made it super clear that at one point he does want an F1 seat. And of course, we have talked a lot about Danny's uncertain future. So it almost feels like at times McLaren is collecting drivers to challenge Danny, kind of keep him on his toes a bit. And then it's in this context this week that the Alex Palou drama happened. So Palou's a Spanish IndyCar driver who currently races for Chip Ganassi Racing, and he won IndyCar last year. So Chip Ganassi released a statement saying that it was keeping him on for 2023, complete with an alleged quote from Palou about how excited he was, etc. So it seemed pretty standard. But then, only a couple hours later, he tweeted that he wasn't staying with the team and that this was all issued without his consent, that it wasn't a real quote, etc. Then, literally five minutes later, McLaren starts blasting on its socials and Zach Brown starts posting that they signed Palou for 2023. But then adding to the intrigue was that they didn't specify which series he would be racing in. So then the next day, 
Danny feels compelled to release that statement, saying that there is a lot of speculation about his future and that he's committed to McLaren through 2023 and is working hard with the team and doing everything he can to improve. But there's also speculation about whether this contract would would allow McLaren to honor Danny's contract but move him to a different team. But now if McLaren does find a way to get rid of him, it's going to be super obvious that they forced him out instead of being able to pull some like, oh, it was a mutual decision move. And so it makes it a tough PR situation for them with how popular Danny is. So Danny kind of boxed them in. Wow, that's wild. I'm excited to see how all of this unfolds. And hopefully (laughs) we will have some good updates during silly season (laughs) to see the culmination of all of this. So just to round out our last few teams, um, Aston Martin, Seb's contract is up at the end of the year, so it's getting into crunch time for Aston Martin to try and convince him to stay. The principal, Mike Crack, said that he's hustling to try and get him to stay, so we'll see what happens there. For Williams, Albon feels positive about the big upgrade package that was introduced at Silverstone, and he was close to the points in Austria and said that they were on pace with the McLarens, which is (laughs) kind of a yikes for McLaren, but... (laughs) That's good for Williams. And then lastly, Alfa Romeo. The FIA said that there will be more stringent roll hoop requirements next year in light of Joe's crash. So that is good. And as always, Botas just continues to be out here living his best life. So <laughs> love to see that. So to get into our hot take predictions, we put a poll on our Instagram about uh, hot takes versus predictions. It sounds like a lot of you love the hot take sections, but we will also probably sprinkle in a few more predictions as well. But with that, let's see. Sarah, what do you have for this week? Okay, so I've listened to you all, and I'm not just going to say Max wins. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so proud of you, Sarah. You've come so far. (laughs) So I'm going to go with Mercedes Podium. I think what we were talking about, about how bad their car situation really was last week and the fact that this is such, such a smooth track, I see big things for them. Also, Mick in points, and then I definitely think Alpine fighting at the front. Maybe that home race energy can get them right to the front. Love it. I'm going to go with a Mercedes win. I was going to say Mercedes top two, but I'm going to go with a win. I just Let's go. I think it's time. I'm going to go with Hamilton for that, but I would also be thrilled to see George take that. And I'm also going to say top five finish for uh, Ocon, would given his home race. You. Yes. So my hot take is a Ferrari DNF again. Sorry. Oh, that's Oof. a that's a flaming hot take. Oh, I know. I'm making a lot of enemies here. Um, and then my predictions. Let's see. Alpine, one Alpine in the top five, and both Mercedes in the top five. So that's All me. All right. So before we jump into our little special section, let's just go over some news. So this week, a South African Grand Prix is looking more and more imminent, maybe even as soon as next year. Max and Checo both said in an interview this week that they would love to see this. It would be their top choice for a race. Um, The race would be at Kiyalami, which actually staged staged a GP from 67 to 1985, and then in 1992 and 1993, and then it dropped off the calendar for almost 30 years. So... This could be the death of the French Grand Prix, actually, and maybe we'll just go with the South South African one instead. 
And there was more drama with Mario, Mario Andretti. He's the American racing powerhouse and the 1978 F1 champion, who, as we've talked about, is really trying to get an F1 team for 2024. He has a really big top IndyCar team that Colton Herta races for. And if you remember us talking about this, he basically called F1 a snobbish European club for not letting him in. Gunther <laughs> responded this week and was basically like, okay, that's not super constructive if you're trying to get into F1. Um, but on the WTF1 <laughs> podcast this week, Andretti said an F1 rejection would be the, quote, worst moment of his career. So he's really trying. Whoa. Let him in. <laughs> it's like pounding on the door. Yeah. <laughs> In other news, Seb said that he was inhaling brake dust at the Austrian Grand Prix, so essentially breathing in carbon particles, which is obviously not good and needs to be addressed. It reminded people of a Botas quote from a couple of years ago when he said he would basically sneeze carbon, which is quite Oof. the image. But yeah, definitely need to take care of that stuff. And otherwise, it was Formula E on the Brooklyn waterfront this weekend in New York, which woohoo, home uh, Formula E event. They don't seem to do a great job of promoting this race. Our friends who live nearby in Brooklyn, and I live in Brooklyn, didn't, I mean, I knew it was happening, but my friends didn't know it was happening. And there are reports that the fan experience isn't great and there aren't good general admission options for track viewing, which is a bummer since New York is such a sick venue. But Nick Cassidy got his maiden win and there was some rain drama. So that's exciting. And lastly, Michael Mossy has officially left the FIA to go back to Australia. So really <laughs> goodbye. That one out. <laughs> Feels like he's getting exiled or something. <laughs> Ouch. Well, enjoy Australia. You know what we love about our Tacova's cowboy boots? You can wear them all year round and for literally any occasion. Of course, you can wear them at the rodeo or at the ranch, but since we're in New York City, we've been getting creative. I even wore mine with a polka dot dress and tights to Sarah's birthday party at a fun, trendy bar in New York City. Tacova's is Western to their core, and they believe in Western for all, handmaking their boots from the most premium leathers. And if you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. And as a special bonus for you, Tacova's is throwing in a free trucker hat or ball cap worth $30 for all online orders over $100. Just use code F1 at checkout. Again, for a limited time, just enter code F1 at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tacova's. only at Tacovas.com. Okay, so now into our fun section. We're going to get a little crazy with you and talk about what in the world is a power unit. So... Like Tiggy said, the term gets thrown around a lot. We've talked a lot about it with both Ferrari drivers getting new power units and taking grid penalties. So let's talk about what it actually is. We'll try to demystify it for you. Um, and although it's infamously complicated and notoriously hard for even these teams to master, we've clearly seen a lot of issues that they've had with reliability. We're going to try to break it down for you and make it easier to understand. So Basically, in Formula One, there are four power unit manufacturers. There's Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, or Alpine, and the Red Bull powertrains. These are referred to as the works team since they build their own engines and the rest of the teams are customer teams. So Mercedes supplies McLaren, Aston Martin, and Williams. Red Bull supplies Alfa Tauri. Ferrari supplies Alfa Romeo and Haas. And Alpine supplies its Renault to itself, but Williams is potentially switching to Renault yet next year. So it sounds weird that so many teams have the same power unit manufacturers, but the differences in performance really emphasize how much more goes into it than just, just the engine, right? There's aerodynamics and everything else. 
Red Bull's arguably the fastest car on the grid right now, yet AlphaTauri has the same engine as them, and they're not having a great season. Same with Williams being at the back for years with a Mercedes engine. So there's so much more to the car than just the power unit. We'll start with a little technical talk, but also go into some of the more practical implications of all this. So rules, regulations, why it's impossible to start restart a race once your engine shuts off, etc. Since 2014, what used to just be called an engine is now a power unit due to them being hybrid. So a power unit consists of a petrol internal combustion engine or an ICE, which is what you can think of as the more traditional gas-powered engine. It's a six-cylinder turbo V6 with 1.6 liter displacement, and it runs on pretty standard fuel, but 10% of that fuel mix has to be sustainable ethanol, and that's something F1 is trying to increase moving forwards. And the turbocharger is a component of this that affects how the engine consumes air from the exhaust and pressurizes that air to help power the engine as well. Then we have the hybrid part, which we're going to get more into, but is overall called the Energy Recovery System, or the ERS. And the total package altogether is about 1,000 horsepower. And one of our favorite fun facts is when the hybrid engines were first introduced, people complained about their lack of noise compared (laughs) to the previous V8 engines and the V10 engines before that, which... It's funny because the old V8s definitely sound different, but the new engines are still so loud. (laughs) Yeah, like unbelievably loud. (laughs) So loud. But I guess we don't technically need earplugs, whereas you probably definitely needed them beforehand if you were there in person. So let's talk more about the hybrid components, the ERS, which are so cool. So this system recovers energy from the exhaust and from braking, and it converts it into electricity to either power the electric motors directly, or be stored in a battery for later use as an extra power boost. The battery is called the Energy Store, or ES, and there is also the Control Electronics, the CE, which is basically the brains of the car and lets the driver control the functions of the power unit. So two crucial parts of the system are the MGUK and the MGUH, Both motor generator units convert their respective energy sources into electrical energy, which can then be used to propel the car. So an MGUK, which stands for Motor Generator Unit Kinetic, is an electric motor that changes its function based on mode. So in regenerative mode, it works as a generator that slows the car through engine braking, which produces electricity to charge the battery through the braking process. And then in drive mode, it becomes a motor using that electricity to accelerate the car. But this can only be used about 30 seconds per lap. So there are limits to to how often you can do that. It's so cool. Like the braking itself can charge the battery. It's wild. It's so cool. So the second unit that Tiggy talked about, the MGUH, that stands for Motor Generator Unit Heat. Um, This is a little bit more complicated and it's used in combination with the turbocharger that we mentioned earlier. But basically, this unit can also work as a generator. It creates resistance that slows down the spin of the turbocharger that we mentioned, and it turns this energy into electricity that then gets stored in the battery. And when it's used as a motor, it can keep the turbocharger spinning even when the driver is not on the throttle, which reduces in turbo lag and is more efficient than the fuel-powered alternative. So the electricity generated by the heat motor generator unit can also power the kinetic motor generator unit. And what's really interesting is we talked about all of these different parts. All of this together has to weigh at least 150 kilograms, just over 300 pounds, obviously, right? Because weight slows the car down and the cars would be incentivized to all just drop a ton of weight, but there's kind of like a minimum that they all have to keep. 
And so these motors generate an incredible amount of power, but teams have different ways of delivering this power and drivers and teams can choose from different modes and let the car do the rest. So we have different power unit modes. So for example, depending on race conditions, the power unit can be in more like a full send mode when you're pushing in quali, or it could be in a lower performance mode in different conditions. So for example, the cars would be put in probably a lower performance mode if a driver is stuck in midfield traffic and is concerned about overheating the engine because of bad airflow. So this leads us to the battery. As we were talking about, the MGU-H and the MGU-K, the hybrid components overall, generate electricity that powers the battery. And then this extra energy can be strategically deployed during a race for basically an extra boost. But while the battery is charging up and in an energy collection mode, that causes that red light to flash on the back of the car. And then this light also flashes more fully during wet conditions for safety, but during normal dry conditions, when you see that red light flashing, it means that the battery is charging up in that car. Wow, that's so cool. Just a quick note on engine cooling. So we don't have a ton of time to get into this in too much detail, but as you can imagine, this whole setup generates a huge amount of heat and the body of the car is designed to create airflow that cools the engine and inside the car, there are more complicated air air slash water coolers as well. All very interesting, which brings us to the power unit regulations. What's funny is there used to be no limits to engine use, so teams would develop these crazy tuned-up engines that would really only last several quali laps, but And sometimes they're referred to as party mode, so you go into (laughs) these insane modes and almost like blow up the engine, and now that's not allowed anymore. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, so because of that, now per season, each driver is allowed three engines, turbochargers, MGU, H, and Ks two energy stores and control electronics, eight sets of engine exhaust systems, and anything beyond this causes drivers to take grid penalties and start at the back of the grid. This is what has been a hot topic recently because if these components are failing or blowing up and the team needs to use more, it can really hurt the driver over the course of the season. So it's a very fine balance of how tuned up can we go without all of these reliability issues. How does the FIA regulate these and make sure everyone is following the rules? Electrical sensors from the FIA's designated suppliers are attached to different parts of the ERS for monitoring. There's also a torque sensor fitted to the MGUK, and all cars run the same high-pressure fuel pump manufactured by the FIA World Motorsport Council. And for the petrol engine, the power output shaft and drive shafts are fitted with a torque measurement system, and there are pressure and temperature sensors as well. So the FIA is constantly looking at all of these to regulate them and make sure everybody is in compliance. That is, that's so much data generated from each car. Uh, that would be a really cool job to try to look through <laughs> all of it and make sure everyone's following the rules. Last thing about power units here. How do you start an F1 engine? Most cars, like the ones that we drive every day, have these like electric starter motors that just allow us to turn a key or press a button and start the engine. F1 cars don't have these on board just because they'd be too heavy. So instead, there's a bunch of steps that the entire team has to do to get the engine running. High level, the team uses computers and they plug them into the car to first check that every engine or every part of the power unit is working. And then the engine is heated by circulating hot coolant throughout the engine and the radiators Compressed air is also added, and then the petrol engine is cranked using an external start motor that they kind of like plug it into the back of the car. So everyone is monitoring everything that's going on, and then once the right temperature and oil pressure is reached, a mechanic sits in the cockpit, so where the driver would usually sit, 
and they use buttons on the steering wheel to turn on the fuel systems and ignition. The ignition is kind of like what makes it all start firing once everything is good to go. And then the starter motor will continue to crank the engine a little bit on its own until it fires up and is fully ready to go on its own. So because of all of the work that it takes to start the engine and all of the data involved and all of the people involved, the engines have these anti-stall systems that help the engine from cutting out during the drive. So for whatever reason, like a driver loses control for a little bit, the engine won't just stall and turn off. It'll try to keep itself going because as we've said, once you're out there on the circuit, and your car stops, if you have to go back to the pits to get it started again, you cannot restart the race. In terms of where we're going with this, as we've mentioned before, there's currently a freeze on these designs. So this means that teams can't continue to develop these engines. And the idea is that that will make way for the new hybrid engine era focused on higher levels of sustainability that are being introduced in 2026. So right now, teams can still work on a few power unit components like the battery and the MGUK, but that all gets frozen on September 1st. So basically, the power units for this season will be the same for the next four years until the 2026 regulations come into effect. But there is a really big but here. The regulations provide that manufacturers can apply to the FAA to make changes, quote, for the sole purposes of reliability, safety, cost saving, or minimal incidental changes. So the key word here is reliability. So there's a big cost-benefit analysis here because it incentivized teams for this year to really prioritize engine power and performance way more than reliability because this freeze is going to go into effect and they'll be allowed to make reliability changes going forwards, but they won't be able to make fundamental changes to make the engine more powerful. So a lot of commentators think that's kind of why we have all these reliability problems and Ferrari engines literally blowing up because they wanted to just do everything they could to make it as powerful an engine as possible and kind of deal with reliability later after the freeze goes into effect. So definitely wow. stay tuned for how that shakes out the rest of the season. Yeah, maybe Ferrari's playing all of us. They really just <laughs> know what they're doing. <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> with that, thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you on the other side for a French Grand Prix recap, and we can't wait for the race this weekend. Thank you.